I'd like you to turn with me to the last chapter of the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24, and we're going to read just the last few verses from um, verse 28 onwards. Verse 28, Joshua 24 says, Then Joshua sent the people away, each to his own inheritance, after these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath-Serah, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gesh. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from, e from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died and was buried at Gibeah, which had been allotted to his son Phineas in the hill country of Ephraim. Amen. The Lord bless his word to our hearts this morning. Yeshua. He's whispering in my ear. Okay, thank you. Praise God. Father, we just ask that you will bless your word to our hearts this morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you that we're in your presence, as already been said. We don't have to beg you to come, but we do ask that you'll help us to open our ears to hear everything you've got to say to us today and help me to say the things you want me to say in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to look at the story of Joshua and some things from the life of Joshua, and especially at those few verses that we read together at the end of the book of Joshua. Joshua 24, verse 29 says, After these things, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant... I can use another microphone if that would help you folks. Sorry, I can't hear you. If you want... It's okay? Fine with me, but uh, okay, I'll fix this other one up then. Okay. Yeah, that's probably a bit better. Yeah, Joshua 24, verse 29 and 30 says, After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath-Zerah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. At first sight, that seems to be just a statement of facts. Several facts that were given. 
Joshua died. That statement will apply to all of us one day or other. Someday the news will spread around that David Alistair is dead. But don't you believe it because it's only half the truth. This old body might have died, but I'm going to be alive more than ever and in a greater place than ever. And the same thing applies to you. So Joshua, the son of Nun, died. He was 110 years old. That meant that in Joshua's case, at least, he had lived a long and fruitful life. 110. I don't know whether I'll get to be 110 or not, but uh, it's a long time to live. Joshua died at 110 years old, and they buried him in his inheritance at Timnath Zerah in the hill country of Ephraim. It's that verse that I want to talk about especially this morning. I, I, I could entitle my little talk about where are you going to be buried? Now, some of you may have already made arrangements about that. Uh, others may not have done. But I'm not so much talking about physically where you're going to be buried, but it says here that Joshua the son of Nun died, and they buried him in his inheritance at Timnath-Zerah in the hill country of Ephraim. It's that key phrase. They buried him in his inheritance at Timnath-Zerah. Now, what that really means is this. The significance of that statement is this, that Joshua had reached the place that God intended him to get to before he died. Joshua had reached the place that God intended him to get to before he died. <coughs> About 80 or 90 years before this statement where Joshua died, the people of Israel had come out of Egypt. At that time, Joshua was a young man, probably 20 or 30 years old. He, they had a mighty deliverance. God had come down and delivered them out of Egypt after they had been slaves for several generations. Now, it was God's plan that the people would come out of Egypt, and within a couple of years, they would enter into the promised land that he had for them, that he had promised for them. But because of the unbelief of the people on the journey from Egypt to the promised land, God deliberately gave them challenges and tests in order to build their faith, in order to establish them in the things of God. But because of their un persistent unbelief, they deliberately they, they, they refused to believe again and again. And at the end of two years, instead of crossing over into the promised land, and God said to them, I, I have finished with you. He, Moses sent out two men, ten, oh, sorry, 12 men to spy the land of Canaan. The 12 spies came back. 10 of them said, you know, there's a great land in there. God, it's a marvelous land, but we can never take it. It's impossible for us because there are giants there. There are walled cities there. But there were two guys in that number, Joshua and his friend Caleb, and they said, don't you believe it? The land is a good land, but if God is for us, then we are well able to take it. And so they had gone out of the e Egypt two years. They were on the verge of the promised land, but the majority of the people said, we cannot do it. And the Bible says that because of their unbelief, they were unable to enter in. But 
God said only Joshua and Caleb out of all of that generation. And the Bible tells us that there were just over 600,000 adult males in Israel who had come out of Egypt. And out of that 600,000, only Joshua and Caleb actually entered into the land. So out of that 600,000, when it says that Joshua was buried in his inheritance, only two out of 600,000 actually reached the place that God intended them to get to before they died. Now that's a tragic, a tragic statistic, isn't it? Now I don't know whether I am going to reach the place that God intends me to get to before I die. I don't know whether I'll make it quite, but I want to get as near as possible. You see, there is a place in God for every one of us that God wants us to get to before we die. It's not a geographical place, although there could be geographical links to it, but it's a place of maturity on one hand and it's a place of fulfillment in the other. Let me explain what I mean by that. When we come to Christ, God begins to work in us and he works through us. He works in us to change us into the character and the image of Jesus. And all throughout our Christian pathway, God is at work in us, changing us to be more and more like Jesus. And the aim is that one day he's going to be able to present us faultless before the Father. That's the aim. So he is at work in me. But God is also at work through us. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared beforehand for us to do. So God is at work in us. He's also at work through us. He's at work in us to make us to become like Jesus so that when we reach the end of our life on earth, we will be closer to the image and the character of Christ. But he's also at work through us because he has things for us to do. For each one of us, God has prepared things beforehand for you and I to do. And he wants us to fulfill those things before we die. And that is what I mean by saying that there's a place that God has for each of us to reach before we die. It's a place of maturity where we become like Christ. It's also a place of fulfillment where he has fulfilled, where we have fulfilled the things that God has given us to do. Jesus was 33 years old when he hung on the cross at Calvary for you and me. The last words that he said on the cross were, it is finished. Now what did he mean by that? He meant that he, ha even though he was only 33 years old, he knew that he had finished the things that God had given him to do on earth. He was able to say it's finished because he knew that he had completed all the tasks that the Father had sent him to earth to do. The Apostle Paul was, we believe, he was probably in his mid-60s when he faced the executioner's acts at Rome. And before he was executed, he wrote to Timothy and he said, The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished 
the course. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Paul was about 66 probably, twice as old as Jesus was. But he also knew that he had finished the things that God had given him to do on earth. And he was ready to go, whether it was by the executioner or by natural means. And the same is true for every one of us, friends. God has things for you to do. And he wants you to complete them before he takes you home. God has things for me to do. And he wants me to complete those things before we go home to be with him. That's what it means when Joshua the son of Nun died and they buried him in his inheritance because he had reached the place that God intended him to get to before he died. Now, why was it that out of all of that generation of 600,000 adult men that only Joshua and Caleb uh, reached and were buried in their inheritance. Well, I believe it's very, very simple because the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that the rest of that generation could not enter in. Hebrews, I think it's 3 verse 19, something like that, says they could not enter in because of of their unbelief. They failed to enter into the promised land where God intended them to get to, but they never made it because of their unbelief. And the reason that Joshua and Caleb entered in and were buried in their inheritance was because of the quality and the kind of their faith. It was because of the quality and the kind of their faith. And I just want to look at that for a few moments again this morning. What kind of faith was it that enabled Joshua to be buried in his inheritance and to reach the place that God intended him to get to before he died? There are three things about Joshua's faith that I believe that we can seek to emulate uh, this morning and like, apply to us. First is this. It was a faith that was rooted and in the proven truth of the past. It was a faith that was rooted in the proven truth of the past. Now let me just mention that when I talk about faith in this context, we are talking about the things which we really believe. Faith is really what we believe, the things that we really believe. It's not what I say I believe, it's what I really believe. What I really believe affects and determines my behavior. Things I say I believe may not, if it doesn't affect our behavior, it's not real faith. It's what we really believe determines how we behave, and that was true in the life of Joshua. At the beginning of chapter 24, we didn't read it, but Joshua was gathered together all the leaders of the nation of Israel to give them a farewell message before he died, in urging them to continue to be faithful in serving the Lord. He began by reminding them of what God had already done for them. But he didn't just remind them of what God had done recently. He went back 700 or 800 years into their history, into their past. And he said, God spoke to Abraham, our father Abraham, when he was living in Ur of the Chaldees. And God told him to come out to leave that land and go to the land that he 
would show him. And he goes down through their history over the past six or seven hundred years. And he reminds them of what God has done. Because he said, then God brought... uh, Jacob and his family into Egypt and he brought us out of Egypt and then he reminded them of what God had done just the generation before how he had brought them through the wilderness he brought them into the promised land so he strengthened their faith by reminding them of the proven truth of the past now the Bible says that we live by faith as Christians we live by faith that was mentioned already there's no other way to live the Christian life other than to live the, the, the Christian life by faith but the faith that we live by and the faith that we have is not blind faith it's faith that has been proven in the past it's faith of in what God has already done we can look back over Christian history we can see the effects of the the church of Christ and the gospel of Christ throughout the last 2,000 years of human history all uh, the, the vast majority of our Western culture was originally it's no longer the case unfortunately but was based on the teachings of Christ and the teachings of the Christian church it was through the church that the first hospitals were created through the church the first schools were created through the church and through godly Christians social services and social care was initiated We look back on our history and we can say we have a a proven track record. We have the proven truth of what God has done in the past. And then if we once we become Christians, we can look back on our own lives and we can look back on the things that God has done. I've been a Christian. I know you don't think I'm old enough, but I've been a Christian for nearly 60 years. I wasn't very old when I became Christian-like, but... uh, Never mind. Uh, In 1953, I gave my life to Jesus as a young lad. But, (laughs) thank you. Uh, But I can look back now over the years, and I I could take you to places. I could take you to the very spot where I can say, God met with me there. I could take you to a tree along the lane on the house where I lived and say, in 1968, God spoke to me under that tree. I could take you to other places uh, throughout the years where I can look back and say, God did that for me there. And I'm absolutely sure that many of you here can do exactly the same thing. You can remember the night you were saved. Maybe you remember the night you were filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized in water or a time when God healed you or a time when God answered a particular prayer and you look back. You see, when, when, when I'm facing a new challenge to faith, I strengthen my faith by looking back and remembering what God has already done for us. Now, that's what Joshua actually did when he went in with the spies to spy out the land of Canaan. The ten spies looked at the giants, and they looked at the walled cities, and they said, we can never do it. Joshua and Caleb looked at the giants, and they looked at the walled cities, and then they remembered God. And they said, well, God brought us through the Red Sea, and God gave us manna in the wilderness for all these years, and God gave us water out of a rock, and if God can do that, these giants are nothing. You see, their faith was based on the proven truth of the past. And it's good to have a faith that's rooted in solid reality. Faith is not building castles in the air. It is building solid 
houses on the rock of truth and things that have actually God has done this and all our building is built on what God has done on the cross 2,000 years ago. So Joshua's faith was a faith that was rooted in the proven truth of the past. Let me see, I've lost my notes here somewhere. The secondly, Joshua's faith was a living, active faith that never stopped growing. The first time we hear of Joshua is in Exodus 17, when he led the army of Israel against the Amalekites. Israel had just come out of Egypt. They're in a place called Rephidim. And the Amalekites, which were a warlike tribe of very big people, uh, Goliath was one of the descendants of the Amalekites. And they attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, take uh, an army of men and go down to the valley and fight the Amalekites. I will go up onto the mountain with the rod of God in my hand. And Moses went up onto the mountain with, with her and Aaron. And Joshua went down in the valley to fight with the Amalekites. And as Moses held up his hand to heaven with the rod of God and reached out in faith to God and reminded God of his promises, Joshua succeeded in the valley. If Moses let down his hand, the Amalekites were winning. But Aaron and Hur, they sat Moses on the stone and he held up his hand on either side and Joshua won the battle that day. He was still a relatively young man, probably in his 30s then. And Joshua learned that day that the battle belongs to the Lord. He learned that day that, yes, it's true, we have to do fighting at times. But if God is for us, it doesn't matter who's against us. It doesn't matter whether they're giants or whether they're multitudes or whatever they are. If God is for us, then who can be against us? And Joshua's faith was a faith that was active right from the early days right through into old age. And it continued to grow. The next time we hear about Joshua, he is helping Moses on Mount Sinai. It seems that he did not go up to the top of the mountain with Moses, but he stayed lower down. And when Moses came down the mountain after many days, Joshua was there. And as Moses and Joshua came down to the bottom of the mountain, they could hear the shouts and cries of reverie in the camp. And uh, they wondered what had happened. And then they soon realized that the people had turned and made false gods and were uh, worshipping the gods that Aaron had made. So Joshua was there with Moses on the mountain. The next time we hear of Joshua is in Exodus 33, where he is spending time in the tent of meeting where people inquired of the Lord. Moses had pitched this tent a little way away from the camp. It was the meeting place with God. Moses went out there to meet with God, and it says that Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tent because he was there in the presence of God. You see, his faith was rooted in the past, but it was a growing faith. It was an active faith. Big faith is little faith that keeps growing. You know, all of us would be giants if we didn't stop growing. 
Something about human nature, you know, we, in the natural we grow for the first maybe 18, 20 years of our life. Then we stop growing. At least we stop growing up this way. We start growing out this way. <laughs> we would all be giants if we, didn't, if we didn't stop growing. But in the spirit, we don't have to stop growing. In faith, we don't have to stop growing. Our faith should continue to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. I, I'm not sure if I'm true in this, but I'm glad I, there's one Australian citizen that I haven't met yet, and that's a crocodile. But I think I'm right in saying that you can tell the age of a crocodile by the size it is, because reptiles tend to just keep growing and growing and growing and growing. You know, our faith needs to be like that. A faith that grows. I, I mentioned earlier that God deliberately led the Israelites through a series of tests in the wilderness. You know, they came out of Egypt. They, they saw all the miracles in Egypt. Then they came out. And God deliberately led them up to the Red Sea where the army of Egypt were behind them. The Red Sea was before them. Now, God could have opened that Red Sea before they arrived. But he didn't do it. He was wanting them to learn to trust him and to see that he can do anything. And he opened up the Red Sea and they went through and they had a great time of rejoicing on the other side of the sea. Miriam got around out her timbrel and they, they sang and they danced on the other side of the Red Sea. Then three days later, they ran out of water in the desert. And what did they do? Did they call a prayer meeting and say, we're going to trust God? Now, they started to grumble and moan and complain. And they said to Moses, have you brought us across the sea just to kill us in the wilderness? You see, God was deliberately showing them, trying to teach them to trust him. But they kept failing the tests. God still graciously gave them water. Then he gave them manna. Then he gave them meat to eat. Then he, he led them and he directed them. So he deliberately led them through a series of challenges in order that their faith might be stretched and their faith might grow. And it's exactly the same with us. God wants our faith to be a growing, active thing. That's why sometimes he will allow tests and challenges to come that you didn't anticipate in order to stretch your faith a bit. Make it a bit bigger to cause it to grow. And if your faith keeps growing and growing and growing, it will become strong faith. It will become good faith. Our faith needs to be an active faith. 38 years after they'd come out of Egypt, Moses laid his hands on Joshua and commissioned him to lead the people into the promised land. God met with him and then promised him that he would be with him as he had been with Moses. So here he is, a young man fighting the Amalekites, probably in his 30s. Now he's in his 60s probably, and he's leading the people into the promised land and seeing God uh, seeing God divide the river Jordan, seeing God, s the walls of Jericho falling down as God gave him the strategy. God told him what to do. And th over the next few years, they conquered the majority of the land and divided it up among the tribes and the clans and the families of Israel so that each one received his inheritance that God intended them to get to. 
and Joshua's inheritance was here at Timnath Zerah in the hill country of Ephraim. That's one of the challenges for us this morning, friends. Our faith shouldn't be a static thing. It's a living thing. If we haven't had to trust God for anything in the last 10 years, our faith will become dormant and static. On the other hand, if we've had to trust God and things happened and we've had to pray and we've had to seek God and we've had to see God's answer, that causes our faith to grow and to increase. It's an active thing. So the next time a problem comes along or difficulties come along, don't see it as, oh, why has God left me alone for this? Say, what are you teaching me now, Lord? You know, what do you want me to learn from this one, Lord? You know, what's your answer to this situation, Lord? And we'll see the hand of God at work in our lives. So Joshua's faith was a faith that was rooted in the proven truth of the past. But it was a faith that was active and continued to grow all through his life. And our faith needs to be the same. The third thing I want to say about Joshua's faith is this. It was the kind of faith that left a deposit for future generations. The Bible says in those verses that we read together that Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything that the Lord had done for Israel. The influence of Joshua's faith lived on after he was dead. The influence of his faith lived on after he was dead, especially in the lives of the younger men who had come out of Egypt with him. But the influence of his faith actually lives on today because we're talking about it all these years later. You see, life is not just about what we achieve when we're here. It's also about what legacy we leave behind for the next generation. And it's a little bit scary, but whether we like it or not, all of us leave a legacy behind. It can be a good legacy, it can be a great legacy, or it could be a bad legacy. But we're all leaving something behind for the generations to come. And if we have a faith like Joshua's faith, a faith that's rooted in the past, living in the present, going on and growing in the present, it will be a faith that will leave behind something for the next generation. In actual fact, men and women of faith don't do more good after they're dead than they do when we're here on earth. Think of all the heroes of Hebrews chapter 11. You know, the things they achieved in life, a few people knew about. But we're still learning from them. They're still influencing us in this generation and millions and millions and millions of others throughout church history who have read about them. Their faith is still having effect on people's lives today. And it's a bit scary, but my life will still live on. My influence will still live on after I've gone. 
hopefully in the life of my sons and grandchildren or whoever we've got, but also in the lives of people whom my life has touched throughout my life. So Joshua's faith was the kind of faith that left a good deposit for future generations. And if we have that kind of faith that Joshua had, then we too will, can leave a deposit of faith for the generations that are to come. Now this principle, that truth, is actually demonstrated in this story of Joshua as well. Let's just go back to Joshua 24 and read the last couple of verses again. In Joshua 24, when I can find my place, is gone, but I'll find it again in a minute. Joshua 24 says, uh, After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Zerah, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died and was buried at Gibeah, which had been allotted to his son Phineas in the hill country of Ephraim. So Joshua wasn't the only one who was buried in his, in, in his inheritance. Eleazar was, and eventually Joseph's bones were buried there. And it's just that that I want to pick up on to illustrate the point that our faith, we, we can leave a deposit for future generations that we may not even be aware of ourselves. You see, Joseph was one of Joshua's uh, ancestors. Joseph uh, lived about three to four hundred years before Joshua was born. We don't know exactly the, the, the times, but he lived about eight generations at least before Joshua was born. And if you read the last chapter of Genesis, you'll discover the last verse of Genesis says that Joseph died. He was also 110 years old. And it says they put him in a coffin in Egypt because Joseph had made his son's promise and his descendants, he made them promise before he died. This is a strange thing. He said, I don't want you to bury me in Egypt, but I want you to take my bones with you when you leave this land. Now, it would have been quite simple if, jo if Joseph had simply said to the Israelites, don't bury me in Egypt, take me up to the land of Canaan and bury me there. That is exactly what his father Jacob had said to Joseph when he was in Egypt. He died in Egypt too, and he said to Joseph, I don't want to be buried in Egypt, I want to be buried in the land of Canaan. 
where God has promised to give us that land. And what happened in Jacob's case was that Joseph had his father embalmed, put in a coffin in Egypt, and then they took him up to uh, the land of Canaan, and they buried him there. It took them two or three weeks going up and coming back, but that was quite possible. They could have done the same for for Joseph, but he didn't ask them to do that. Instead, he made this strange request because he said, you are not, God is going to bring you out of this land. And when he does, I want you to take my bones with you when you go. Now that's that's what they did. But at that particular time, the people of Israel had no desire to leave the land of Egypt. They were still an elite among the land because of Joseph's influence and position. They had no desire to go back to the land of Canaan. But Joseph said, one day God is going to bring you out of this land and I want you to take my bones with you. Now, I want you to imagine a little scenario a few generations later. The Bible also tells us in Genesis that Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. In my reckoning, that means that he saw his great-great-grandchildren, or some of them. He saw his great-great-grandchildren before he died. But I want you to sort of spin the the film on to the next generation. And the next generation eventually arrives after Joseph has died. And one day, someday, something like this happens in the house, in the household of Ephraim's great, great, great grandchildren. A little boy is born, or a girl for that matter, but a child is born into that family. And as the child begins to grow, uh, he becomes aware that there's a coffin in the backyard. So he comes and he says to his dad, Dad, he says, why do we have a coffin in our backyard? And the dad will turn to him and he says, well, son, that coffin contains the bones of great, great, great grandfather Joseph. And why haven't we buried him, Dad? We haven't buried him because God is going to take us out of this land and he made us promise that when God takes us out of this land, we will take his bones with us. Now that scenario went on for several generations. Another generation comes along and a child says to his father, Dad, why do we have a coffin in our backyard? When the father says, that coffin contains the bones of our great, 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 great grandfather Joseph. Why haven't we buried him? We haven't buried him because we're not staying here. God is taking us out of this land. And he made us promise that when we go, when God takes us out, that we will take his bones with him. Now, by this time... They had become slaves in Egypt. And so for those generations when they were slaves in Egypt, Joseph's bones became a symbol of faith and hope for each succeeding generation. They looked at Joseph's coffin and they said, that is a reminder that God is going to bring us out. And when they were slaves, that became a symbol of hope. Lord, when are you going to come and bring us out? 
And one day, into that family of Joseph, another boy was born, and they called him Joshua. And Joshua, he may have asked the same questions, but he learned the same truth, that out in the backyard somewhere there was a coffin and the reason it was there and the reason it hadn't been buried was because God had promised that he would bring them out of Egypt and he was the, the generation he belonged to the generation that actually went out see Joseph's faith was a symbol of hope for succeeding generations, not only in his own family, but for the whole of the nation. Now, I like to think that some of Joseph's faith rubbed off on Joshua. <laughs> Can't say it for sure, but it certainly had a good influence on him. And to me, that one of the most amazing things in the Bible is they actually brought them out. They took Joseph's bones, that says there, they, they brought Joseph's bones out of Egypt. Not only did they bring him out, but, you know, they carried those bones, that coffin, around the wilderness for 40 years. I'm sure there must have been some fellas carrying that coffin who said to one another, let's bury him here. <laughs> Why don't we just bury him here? It's near enough. We're not far away. But they didn't. They, they carried him around the wilderness for 40 years and they carried him across the Jordan and they carried him into the promised land and they carried him up to Shechem, the place where Jacob had been born, where, uh, buried rather, where Abraham had been buried and they buried him there. You see, Joseph's faith and Joseph's bones became a symbol of hope and encouragement to succeeding generations. And I believe God wants that for all of us. So that we leave something behind that will be an encouragement and hope to our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, our great-great-great-great and down the generations because of our faith. Joshua, the son of Nun, died. He was 110 years old and they buried him in his inheritance. In Timnath Zerah in the hell country of Ephraim. He had reached the place that God intended him to get to. I don't know whether I'll live to be 110. I doubt that. But I want to complete and finish the work that God has given me to do. Whether that's 10 years, 20 years, 30 years or whatever it is. And I believe that's the desire of all of our hearts this morning. God has given you a work to do. His Working in you, he's working through you. He's got works for you to do, to finish. Not necessarily dramatic things, but things for you to do to finish before you die. And the way that that will happen for us is if we have the kind of faith that Joshua had. A faith that is rooted in the past. You know, some folks live in the past. You can't live in the past. It doesn't work. The past is not the model that we build to it's the foundation that we build on we have to keep going that way but we build on the past we build on what others have done and the stuff that we build hopefully others will be build will be able to build on our lives as well as a faith that keeps growing each challenge that comes uh, drives us deeper into god we were up at uh, was it Yanchop 
National Park, something like that. We went into these caves the other day, you know, the crystal caves, I think they called them. And one of the fascinating things there, the guy just pointed out, the roots of the trees, that the trees that were on top, it's nine or ten meters above through us, were coming down through the rock and reaching into the water. You see, the 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 the, the dryness on the surface caused the tree roots to go deeper and deeper and deeper in search of life. And the trials of life and the things that happen to us, God intends that they cause our faith, our roots to grow deeper and deeper and deeper into God. Unlike the majority of the Israelites who simply moaned and complained instead of allowing their faith to grow deeper. Faith that keeps growing and a faith that leaves a deposit a legacy of faith and a legacy of hope for future generations. May God help us to do that. Amen. God bless. Wasn't that great? Actually, I was reminded of uh, a book that's written by